I just want to pray this verse because to me, like, let's just start with this prayer. It says, let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankfulness in your heart. So Jesus, teach us richly. And Lord, I don't know what all the fuss has been about with this teaching. But Lord God, let it hit its mark. You're a marksman. I thank you for the honor of being your mouthpiece. But Spirit of God, that's all I am. It is the Spirit of the living God that illuminates the words of men. And they bring power and freedom and truth. And truth will set any captive free. We believe in the power of your truth. Lord God, I thank you, Lord. Your word says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And I just say right now in the name of Jesus, I bring vengeance against the spirit realm that's done everything they can to stop this. Vengeance by you being glorified, God. Vengeance by your people being fed. Vengeance by your people being set free. Lord God, in Jesus' name, we bind this enemy that's coming against this message. You are bound. And in the name of Jesus, technology will work in Jesus' name. Kim has had trouble all morning long with the technology before we even started. Father God, I thank you in the name of Jesus, Father God, that this message will prevail and the gates of hell will not have victory over it. Lord God, and what, let it, let, Lord, there's, there's power in this, Lord. In a way, I don't think I really knew. And I thank you for letting us in on that little secret, Lord God. And now we, we come hungry, expecting. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. amen. All right, so last week, so of course, if you are a podcaster and you're listening and you have not listened to last week's talk, you got to go back and listen to Stuck in the Middle. This, this totally builds on last week's talk. And uh, sorry, I'm so thirsty. I've probably 2,000 cups of coffee I've had. It's dehydrating me here. But um, so this podcast builds on last week's. So you got to go back and listen if you haven't listened. But this is last week was Stuck in the Middle. This week's about getting unstuck. And I just want to talk about how. Um, you know, what we learned about last week is there are long seasons of being stuck in the middle. Long seasons. We talked 25 years, 20. If you go back and listen, we long seasons. And we could be like, God, what's wrong? What's going on? And we learned that that is training ground for greatness. And there is no greatness without the training ground. It just doesn't work because you, you end up sabotaging what God wants to do. It's interesting, I did a little research. To be an army soldier, a regular army soldier, you go into boot camp for nine or ten weeks, it said. But a special forces guy, like our Josh over here, a special forces guy, the best I could tell, the research I did, it said 63 weeks, and then the training continues on for years. <coughs> now here's the thing about the children of God. Ain't no, ain't no average kids in his family. He puts everybody, he expects all of us to be special forces in whatever lane he has you in. 
He has you in a category. Everybody has, we're different body parts, but whatever it is, he's called you to be special forces in that body part. You're going to go through some training. And so what we're talking about today is what, so we're in the middle. What do we do about this middle process? We didn't talk about what we do in the middle. We talked about how this is a thing that God did. We talked about how there is a process with God, and you see it over and over again in Scripture, and we've all experienced it. God gives you a promise. He's like, I'm going to do this for you, with you, through you. You know, maybe it's, a, maybe it's something about your marriage. Maybe it's something about a calling. Maybe it's something about a business. But he puts a promise in your heart, and then you go through the process, which is the middle. And, and the middle is a tough, tough season. And it, and it is the actual, the blessing. It's not where the blessing happens. It's where the blessing enables the blessing to last, if that makes sense. That was wordy. But so, and then stage three is when the promise is fulfilled. So what we're going to look at this time is the middle while we are in the middle. And I want to start out with everybody knows the middle story. And, and Lord, I just pray you make this fresh because we ha- we're familiar with stories and they, we miss it because familiarity breeds contempt. So I want to breathe freshness into this story, but we all know the children of Israel and we know they were in the desert and you just hear desert or wilderness, you know they're in the middle. Well, that just says the middle right then and there. But we know that they're in the middle and we know that God only intended them to be there for one year from Egypt to the time they arrived at the promised land was a year, and that's all his, his plan was a year. He didn't plan for them to be in that wilderness for 40 years. They added 39 years to their middle. <sighs> to, and it was the death sentence. I mean, they, only two of them lived through it, right? Everybody else died. They never received the promise that God wanted to give them immediately. So the first thing we're going to do today is study what not to do. And so we're going to study that moment for, and I got a lot to tell you guys, so we're going to buzz through this, but so we're going to look at the scripture, Numbers 13, starting 32 and 33. So the, the spies have gone in, 12 spies gone in. There are two that come back saying, God's got this. There are 10 that come back and say, this is too scary. This is too hard. This is too big. And so it says they, meaning the ten spies that say it's too, too, too hard, spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. And what's so sad is people tend to believe the bad news over the good news because everybody believed the ten spies. Other than, other than Moses, everybody believed the ten spies um, uh, and Aaron uh, over you know, the, the two that said it's good. They said the land we explored devours those living in it. I mean, it's just so dramatic. It devours them. I mean, they're... They're, they're, what does that even mean? It's so, you know, looming. And the people saw, the people we saw there are giants. We saw giants there. And it says, we, it's, we seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we look the same to them. We're going to circle back to that. Then starting in Numbers 14, and listen, I just pulled what verses I could. So if you're going to try to follow along, just, you're going to have to read the whole thing. But I just pulled the verses because we don't have as much time as I'd love to have. But it says, that night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. Have you been there? Me too. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. 
And the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness, why is the Lord bringing us into the land only to let us fall to the ground? Why, Lord, why, why, why are you just, your plan for me is destruction. And it says our wives and children will be taken as plunder. I mean, look at the picture they're painting. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And Joshua and Caleb are being like, who, 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 the ones that are like, hey, this is good. They said, they tore their clothes. They're, they're mourning this. And they said, the land we passed through and explored, it's, it's amazing. It's exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into the land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only don't rebel against the Lord. See, they understood that this is rebellion against God. People of faith recognize that this attitude towards God is actually rebellion towards him. And don't be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them. Look at the faith. We're gonna, it says their protection is gone. But the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. I mean, so the, 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 the ten other ones think that they're vulnerable. Joshua and Caleb, the people of faith, they're like, they have no protection against God. If God's with us, they're, they're the ones who are in trouble. Don't be afraid of them. So then the Lord says to Moses, how long will these people treat me with contempt? See, they didn't think they were treating God with contempt. How long will they refuse to believe in me? In spite of all the signs I performed among them, nevertheless, as surely as I live and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their ancestors. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. He just made a promise that they would never receive the promise. Because, but because of my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I'll bring him into the land and his descendants will inherit it. How long will this wicked community grumble against me? I've heard the complaints of these grumbling Israelites or North Carolinians or podcast listeners. I've heard their grumbling. Your children will be shepherds here for 40 years, suffering for your unfaithfulness. That hurts. Until the last of your bodies lie in the wilderness, dead. What do we learn from this? The middle, we do not have control over how long God's going to make us be in the middle. He knows how long we need to be there. It's like a cake in the oven. He knows when we're done. He knows when he puts the toothpick in and he's like, yep, they're done. So I just want to tell you guys, we cannot manipulate God's planned end date. But I tell you what we can do, we can elongate it. We can make it last. His plan was a year. What they ended up getting, he ended up promising to never give them the promise. This is, you know, and, and let's be very real. The middle, the middle, when we're stuck in the middle, that middle season, Jesus is in the temple. We're his temple. He's kicking over some tables. You guys know the story. He went in and turned tables over twice. He took out a whip and ran people out. You know what our middle is? That's what he's doing in us. He is getting rid of junk. We're his temple. He has called us to holiness, and he's going to get rid of some junk in the middle. He's kicking over tables in the middle. I mean, so this is a very active time, and we feel that, right? We feel it. But there are things we can do that will... We want to know what not to do. 
Because however long God has planned that he's going to be kicking over tables in my life, I certainly want it to be over ASAP. Nobody likes this season. It's brutal. And it's brutal on purpose because it's, it's refining us. But the fact is there are things we can do that we don't want to do. So what don't we want to do? The first thing I want to talk about, and I just read it, it says um, the spies that were scared, they said, we saw giants there. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we look the same to them. Let me tell you something, and you're, this is so controversial to what we have been steeped in in our modern day uh, belief system. Self-esteem is a bottomless pit. Self-esteem, you know what that is? That's self-esteem. How do I esteem me? I esteem me as I'm a grasshopper compared to them, and they were. Self-esteem is us assessing us when what we're supposed to do is look to God. We're supposed to say, not how do I measure up, how does God measure up? And, and we have bought into this, I don't feel good about me, I don't feel worthy, I don't feel, I, I hear this a lot. Because you guys know, on the off weeks, what I do is all this stuff, one-on-one. So all, and I hear it and hear it and hear it and hear it. And do you know what I say when people say, um, I don't feel good about me and I don't feel worthy? I look them in the eye and I say, good. Thank God you're there. Because Jesus, the, 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 the Pharisee who showed up and said, oh, look at all my praying. Look at all how righteous I am. Jesus said, he, God doesn't hear him at all. The tax collector who came and ripped his clothes and said, God, I just, I'm at your mercy. I don't deserve what you're giving me. He said, that man is righteous before God. What, what you, when we are looking at ourselves, we are wrecking ourselves. We are wrecking our marriage and we are wrecking our children because we have taught them. See, it's interesting. You know, the greatest generation that ever lived in America, that we have all the books about it and they did all the war. And they, Do you know what was happening in schools during those times? My parents are in their 80s. My father was in the Vietnam War. So this is a little pre, but even in their generation, as my parents were growing up, they went to public school. Do you know what happened every morning over the loudspeaker? In, right outside of Philadelphia. They prayed, they read scripture. Do you know how the generation, the greatest generation that ever lived, had the strength to fight those battles? They were taught from a young age, it's not about how great you are, it's about how great God is, and God enabled them to do the impossible. Stop blowing smoke up your kids, yourself, your others. And you know what? Nobody believes it. Your children are desperate because they know they're not good enough. If we were good enough, Jesus wouldn't die. He wouldn't have had to die. The, the all in heaven, do you know what the heavens is ringing in heaven? It's saying the angels are shouting. We get few glimpses of heaven. You know what they're saying over and over and over again? Worthy is the lamb who was slain. Only he's worthy. We are not. We are grasshoppers in our own eyes. Stop looking at yourself. Get over yourself. This self-generation, it's ruinous. 
I mean, you will hear about this more because it breaks my heart because people who love God, they have believed the psychobabble. It's psychobabble. It's not in the Bible. The opposite is in the Bible. 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 and 2. But mark this, will be a terrible time in the last days. We're in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves. And then this is a whole bunch of other lists. And the list goes like down five verses. But the number one thing is people will be lovers of themselves. And we keep telling your kids, you got to love you. You got to love you. No, you got to love Jesus. When you love Jesus, you will have a healthy relationship with you. Do you know why? Do you know why you'll have a healthy relationship with you? Because when you love Jesus, he says to you, you're washing the blood. You're perfect in my eyes. I have redeemed you. I have, you are my daughter. You are holy. You are royal. He, but it's only through the lens of him. Only in his presence do we get a healthy relationship with ourselves. When you're in his presence and his forgiveness and his love and his goodness washes over you, that's how you see you, through Jesus. No other way. No other way. And, and this is, I'm passionate about this because it's destroying God-loving people. Because we have put psychobabble on and even or even above what the Bible says. This is the power of the gospel. It'll set any captive free. It, we can't put that stuff on the same level. So, we start by breaking up with ourselves. <laughs> like a bad breakup. We move on. Aren't you sick of it? Aren't you sick of yourself? Aren't you sick of moping about all your failures, all your shortcomings, all the ways you screwed it up, all the things you're not, blah, 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 blah. You know what that is? Narcissism. And somehow we've slapped an approval on it. Get over yourself. You're a grasshopper in your own eyes? Good. That's right where God wants you. He wants you to realize you can't do it, and only he can. Step number one. The next thing they did, anxiety. They're anxious. Boy, that's a buzzword. And do you know what we do with anxiety in our society? We pat it on the bottom. We give it a bottle. We feed it. We, you know, we diaper it. We, we like, oh, you have anxiety. Well, you know, you're just a victim to that. You don't have any, you, you can't, you can't help. We're breathless with anxiety. There's no power to, you know, you're gonna have, you're gonna need to pop pills. You're gonna need to. And listen, I'm not against medication. I'm not. I'm not even getting. I'm not going into that. Let me tell you something. Can I tell you how many people, through the name of Jesus, we have gotten off of those drugs? Because I have seen. I personally have witnessed how those drugs open gateways for the enemy to come in more. You have to keep upping your dosage. You don't feel better. You feel worse. So our, that's my experience. But. Let me just talk about anxiety. God, on purpose, in his perfect plan, sets every single believer up in situations over and over and over again that are absolutely impossible, absolutely awful, and that you can't fix. 
And he does it on purpose because he expects us to respond in faith because when we respond in faith and he gets to work an amazing miracle, then he gets glory. Then you rejoice because of the power of God, how he showed up in that moment when nobody else, nothing else could. He sets you up. So if you're going to be in anxiety, first of all, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna hurt yourself. Just start about what you do to yourself. You hurt yourself. By believing that garbage, that Satan's lie about your situation. And you know what? When we're in a situation, because we talked about being in the middle last time, 25 years for Abraham. Jacob, 20 years. Joseph, uh, 13 years. David, 15 years. So when we get in the, in the middle for a long time, then we stop believing the miracle because we're like, if it hasn't happened in 20 years. See, we have an expiration somehow on our miracle. It took, uh, I mean, you know, we talked about my situation. I've been in it for 10 years. It's been 10 years. He's never going to do it. Is there an expiration date on the miracles? No, we saw the opposite. We saw the middle can last a very long time. We have to have faith. See, the Bible, if anxiety were something we couldn't control, then why in Philippians 4, 6 does it give a command? Do not be anxious about anything. Well, is God mean and he's telling you to do something that you just can't control? No. You do have control over, over this emotion. Reign it in. What about John 14, 1? And this is the amplified version. And I always say amplified because for podcasters, there's added words that are a commentary that I think are very helpful. So it says, do not let your heart be troubled, anxious, or afraid. Here it says again, don't let. You're letting it. You have control. God tells you you do because he'll give you the power to overcome it. Believe confidently in God and trust in him. Have faith. Hold on to it. Rely on it. Keep going and believe also in me. Okay, so anxiety is fear. And we've talked in the past, fear is a demonic spirit, but we're not going to get into that today. Fear is unbelief. Unbelief stops the miracle. So we get to see how miracles work. We get an insight in Matthew 21, 20, 21, 21, <laughs> Chapter 21, verse 21 to 22. Jesus replied to them. I love how Jesus says this. I, I promise you I'm telling you the truth. Why does he start the verse out like that? Because it's so hard to believe that this is true. He knows we're going to be, I mean, Jesus does not have to qualify himself that he's telling the truth, but it's so hard for us to believe this is true. That He's like, please believe me. If, what does if mean? This is the qualifier. If, that's the part that's up to you. You not your mama, daddy, or your whole prayer chain. If you have faith, personal trust and confidence in me, and do not doubt, and I love this part, or allow yourself to be drawn in two directions. See, doubt is, I believe right now. No, I can't. No, I don't. I believe. I don't. I believe. I don't. See, that's not faith. The back and forth, mm -mm, that's doubt. You can't go back and forth. It says, so don't allow yourself to be drawn in two directions. You will not only do with, the, with what happened to the fig tree, which is a miracle, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, we all have miracles in the, we all have mountains in the middle that are way too big for us. So he's just saying that thing is too big. This will happen to it. It will happen. And whatever, I like the word whatever in there, do you? Whatever you ask for in prayer, believing you will receive. Amen. How good is that? You know, 
Jesus, we know the story about how he crossed the sea and he's walking across the sea and all the disciples see him walking. They're in the storm. It's a terrible storm. It's a life-threatening storm. And they see Jesus walking and they're all scared. They say, it's a ghost. And, you know, he says, it's just me. And Peter, he's like, hey, Jesus, if it's really you, let me come out in the water. Which you guys, we all know, like there's not some big spiritual thing in this. This is just a joy ride. This is just a miracle for fun, right? Like, hey, that looks cool. I want to walk on the water. So it's not like you have to have some big thing behind your miracle. Sometimes we just over-spiritualize what we're asking for. The Bible just says you have that because you ask not. It doesn't have to be, this isn't some big, huge spiritual moment. He just wants to walk on the water. He's a daredevil, I guess. And so we see Jesus, Matthew 14, start 29, Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went on the other side of the boat. He walks on the water towards Jesus. And then we all know this. He looks at the winds and the waves. He's terrified and he began to sink. Which, of course, if you're already walking on water, the winds and the waves don't. I mean, you know, you're already walking on water. So I don't think the wind and the waves matter that much. But, of course, we look at our circumstance. We lose faith. So that's what happens to all of us, right? Save me, Lord. Jesus immediately grabs him. But I love this part. He says, you have so little faith. Why did you doubt? Even with Jesus standing right there in front of him, his doubt stopped the miracle. And you can hear the disappointment in Jesus' voice. He's like, why did you doubt? Like, this was so cool. Like, why did you doubt? And why, do you, why is your faith so little? But, you know, our doubt stops the miracle. And so we've got, to, we've got to understand that, that that fear that we call anxiety that is really at the root of it, doubt, has got to go. It is not trusting God. It is not trusting in his goodness, which leads us to our third thing about the Israelites and what not to do, complaining. Now, you guys saw when they started complaining, God got mad. He was, and it's serious, and it's interesting. Um, he brings this up. I'm going to show you a couple other places. He keeps bringing this up all through history. This really upset him. I take it seriously. This makes me shake in my boots. You know, it says, um, well, let's look at 1 Corinthians 10, 10, and 11. Don't grumble if some of them did, and then were destroyed by the angel of death. Grumbling, complaining leads to death. Maybe death of your dream, your relationship, your, I don't know. But if you're complaining, if you're complaining about your husband, if you're complaining about your kids, you're bringing death to that situation. They were written down to warn us who live at the end of the age. It says these things happen to be an example for us, for us now, against complaining. See, when we complain, we're saying either, you know, God, we don't believe you're good, or God, we don't think you can do this, or God, we think you're a deadbeat father. Whatever it is, we just don't think he's who he said. We don't think we we doubt his integrity. We doubt his character, and it is incredibly offensive to him. It's interesting because in Psalm 78, um, starting with verse 21 and 22, when the Lord heard, and now this is King David. So I just talked. I just said First Corinthians. That's Paul. Now King David is writing this in Psalms. So God is still talking about this to his. People through the ages, this complaining is so upsetting to him. 
It says, therefore, when the Lord heard, he was full of wrath. A fire was kindled and his anger mounted up against them because they didn't believe in God. This is the Amplified Version again. They didn't believe in God. They didn't rely on him. They didn't adhere or cling to him. They didn't trust his power to save them. It's very upsetting to him when we don't trust his power to save us. He wants us to cling. He wants us to trust that he will save us. He wants us to have no doubt about that. He goes on in, in 78, I'm going to start with 32, and I'm going to skip around, so you just have to read the whole, I recommend reading all of Psalm 78. But it says, in spite of this, the people kept sinning. Despite his wonders, they refused to trust him. They refused to trust him, so he ended their lives in failure. That's one of our biggest fears, isn't it? Ending our lives in failure, ending our lives alone, ending our lives... He, they refused to trust him, so they ended their lives in failure. Failure of a marriage, failure of a relationship. Fail, fail. Isn't that one of the things we're anxious about? Isn't that one of the things we're complaining about? This is serious. But all they gave him was lip service. Listen, you could say you trust him all day long. He's reading your heart. You can't fool him. He's like, I heard you. I hear you saying you trust me. All they gave him was lip service. They lied to him with their tongues. Their hearts were not loyal to him. When we don't trust him, he says, you're disloyal to me and you're a liar because you're saying you trust me, but you don't. They did not keep his covenant. Oh, how often they rebelled against him in the wilderness. Now, when God was there, he said, they, they're rebelling against me by not trusting. A lack of trust is rebellion to God. So he's like this. You're and, and the Bible says rebellion is the same as witchcraft. And what's witchcraft? It is serving what is evil. Very serious. It says they rebelled him against the wilderness, grieving his heart in that dry wasteland. How many of us are in a wasteland? We do not want to grieve him there. We do not want to have this dynamic with God. We do not want to do, we don't want to do this. Again and again, they tested God's patience and provoked him. They did not remember his power and how they rescued them in the past. We have got to remember his power. We have got to remember that he's rescuing us. We've got, this is, we cannot grumble against him. We cannot, we, we've got to. So, you know, when we studied last week and we talked about Joseph, we discovered something because when we're in the middle, we like to point fingers. It's very popular these days to blame our parents. Um, we really like to talk about how they messed us up or our, or our spouses or our job or our, but we found out last week that um, the blessing that went with Joseph, the blessing, the destiny, the calling, it could not be stolen. Um, and I have the list of things that were done to him, attempted murder, betrayal of closest family members, lying about his character, hate, leaving him to die and forgetting all about his suffering. That's painful. Becoming a slave in a foreign land, being accused of rape, falsely, being imprisoned for years. And all of these bad things that happened to him could not stop the blessing of God. All those, all, when we're like my mom, my dad, my this, my that, all the, when we do that, Mm -mm. God's not buying it. 
need to stop it. And listen, they, Joseph said to his brothers eventually, hey, you meant it for evil. Like, we're not pretending like what they've done to you is okay. It's just that God promises to turn it around for good. So let's do it God's way so God can do with that mess what he wants to do with it. So there might be some people that, that do mean it for evil. Just they can't, they can't succeed. But, but we saw what Joseph did. What, what, the difference between Joseph and the children of Israel is Joseph stayed the course with God. The children of Israel forfeited. So we, and listen, Joseph kept doing the right thing, and it kept going the wrong way for 13 years. And then it was another seven till he saw the dream fulfilled because he didn't see his brothers for another seven, so it was, in total it was 20 years. So it was a long time until he saw the promise of God come into fruition. But the fact is, in the middle, we have a decision. We might not be able to make that time speed up. That's God's time. But we can certainly make it longer. We can forfeit the, the entire blessing, like the children of Israel. They forfeited the whole nut. Whole thing gone. They gave it up. I mean, so it's interesting. We, we studied last week, and we talked about um, Peter. We just read about Peter. We talked about how he denied Christ, right? He denied Christ. That didn't forfeit his blessing. It's a pretty serious sin. We talked about David. He slept with Bathsheba. He committed murder. It didn't forfeit his blessing. God didn't take the kingdom from him. God didn't, God didn't strike him down. Uh, we talked about Jacob. You know, he stole, he manipulated, he did all this stuff. It didn't. And, and there's an important message here. The message is, now those sins they repented of, believe me, they couldn't continue living in the pattern of that junk. So we are not minimizing. That is um, heresy to minimize the importance of sin to God. So we're not saying, oh, shock's no big deal, but we're saying God forgives. So it's interesting that that didn't forfeit their, their thing. And, and when, they, when they repented, they never went back to it. Let's just get it straight. They didn't keep living that way. But what forfeits the destiny is the sin of not trusting God. Now we, the Israelites forfeited it because they didn't trust. Now we say, you know, betraying Christ and, you know, adultery, murder, you know, manipulating, stealing from your, your father, your brother. We would think that would disqualify them. And we put this big importance on that stuff. And then not trusting God, we say, well, we have low self-esteem. Well, we have anxiety. We can't trust God. We say, oh, well, it's hard. And I, I'm, I'm just, it's not fair. And I'm complaining. See, we make those things no big deal. And then the things that, we got some flip-flopping going on here. When you actually study the scripture, you see how important it is to trust God in the middle. And so when you're in the middle and it's lasting 20 years, 25 years, 13 years, 15 years, how do you not fall into this pit? And I'll tell you how you don't fall into the pit. One word, hope. Biblical hope is completely different from worldly hope. Worldly hope is I'm going to blow out my candles. I'm going to wake a wish. I'm going to cross my fingers. I'm going to hope it happens. I'm going to wear my special jersey so my team wins. That's hope. But biblical hope is completely different, and it's really important. Hope is the joyful anticipation 
of good. When you're in the middle and it lasts and lasts and lasts, hope means you are anticipating that good is coming. Hope is not positive self-talk. Hope is not self-reliance. Hope is not a bunch of determination. It's not hope. That's self. We're going to fail ourselves. Hope is supernatural. It is spiritual. It is a spiritual element. And we're so blessed because we live in the time where we have the Holy Spirit and we have the death and resurrection of Jesus. We have hope that we, they couldn't have even imagined back then and God still held them accountable. How much more does he hold us accountable? It is supernatural. Hope is supernatural. It's a spiritual force. force. It is certainty in the goodness of the Lord. It is knowing that there is no possible way that God will fail you. He will not do it. He will not fail. It is confidence not in yourself, but it is confidence that God's purposes will prevail in your life despite your shortcomings. That's why Jesus died, because of your shortcomings. We're going to negate the power of God because of our shortcomings? Our shortcomings are bigger than the blood of Jesus that we talked about the very first day? No way. So we're not going to focus on our shortcomings. Jesus' blood covered that. We're righteous. That's already forgiven. God says he's forgotten that as far as the east is from the west. Why are you listening to the devil that's constantly in your ear about what you did wrong? How dare you cheapen the blood of Jesus like that? Get over yourself. Move into hope. Move into hope. Hebrews 11 gives us the example of how hope and faith work together. And we know it's, that miracles only happen through faith. So how does it work? Hebrews 11, 1 and 6. Faith is the assurance, and I love this in the Amplified, the title deed, the title deed. We all understand what that is. It is the title deed of the things, what's that word? Hope for. Hope for. It's the title deed of the things you're hoping for. It's the evidence of things not seen. You can't see it, but you don't doubt it. It is the conviction of the reality. Faith comprehends, and this is all a part of the Amplified, faith comprehends as fact what cannot be experienced by the physical sense. It's a fact to us when you hope in it. And, I, and this is one of my favorite verses. It's funny, this verse, I dream this verse all the time. I wake up and I'm saying it in my dreams, I'm praying it. It's, it's one of these staples in my life, but it says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Here we go again. We think the way we please God is never sinning, never, we have this list of rules, and it is about faith. You cannot please God without faith. But what I love, and I've talked about this many times, and I guarantee you this won't be the last time I talk about it this year because I love this scripture. It says, whoever comes near to God, first of all, you have to believe he exists. Very basic. Number two, on an equal footing of believing that God exists is that he's a rewarder of those who earnestly and diligently seek him. He is a rewarder. God says, I need you just as, much, just as much as I need you to believe that I am is that I need you to believe that I reward you. By the way, those who earnestly and diligently seek him, I, you know, people are like, well, the God thing didn't work. I'm like, really? How earnestly and diligently? There's a qualifier. And it's not seeking him in doubt. It's seeking him in faith. And, and you know, the, the man who 
asked for the miracle of the deliverance of his son. He was throwing himself in the fire. And Jesus said, anything's possible for him who has faith. And what did the guy say? He said, help my unbelief. And Jesus helped him. If you're struggling, Jesus will help you. I'll help you. Sometimes we need each other. But, but do not live your life like this. Do not live it like this. See, faith understands and hope understands the backwards momentum of the middle. In the middle, you feel like you're going backwards. Do you know why you feel like you're going backwards? Because you are. In these 10 years, we have gone backwards and backwards and backwards. Our health, career, finances, I mean, you name it. It's just been backward, backward, backward. But do you know what faith knows about that backward momentum? It's a slingshot. Pulling it back, he's going to launch you. Faith knows that. Hope knows that. So all during the middle, you are knowing, yeah, this is backwards. But I know by hope, hope connects you to the miracle, the launching. Without hope, you can't have faith. And without faith, you're never going to be launched. If you make a mistake in the middle and you get stuff wrong and you commit a sin like Abraham and Sarah, God will forgive you. But you've got to stand in hope and faith. That's the one thing you cannot forfeit in this thing. I love Psalm 27, 13 and 14. This is hope. I remain confident of this. This is King David speaking when he was in a horrible place in his life. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Not when I'm dead. Christians like to be like, well, in this earth, it's just going to be real bad. But, you know, when I'm dead. No, I'm not buying. I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that in this earth. I might have to do it for a while. That's not my destiny. My hope tells me it's coming. I love the rest. Wait patiently for the Lord. You're going to have to wait in hope. Be brave and courageous, yet wait patiently for the Lord. Wait in hope. Whatever you do, don't forfeit that. Hope tells us when the circumstances all around us are saying, this is impossible, this is terrible, this will never change. It's been like this for 10, 15, 20 years, blah, 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 blah. Hope says, well, the word of God says differently, and I side and I choose what God says about my future. I don't choose. The Bible says the righteous will live by faith, not by sight. So we say, no way will I choose what I see. I am believing in hope for what's coming. You know, we talked last time about Abraham. And this is another one of my staples in life, Romans 4, starting with verse 18. But we talked about how it says, against all hope. What does that mean? When there's no hope, no reason for hope, Abraham in hope, Okay, against all hope, Abraham in hope. And then what's the next word? He believed, opposite of unbelief. The unbelief that kills the, that kills the faith. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became, which is step three, he received the miracle, the father of many nations, just as it had been said of him, so shall your offspring bring. Without weakening in his faith, he didn't let his faith get weakened, even though it lasted until he was 100, without weakening in his faith. And listen, his is a tough, tough trial because every month you have a new disappointment. Every month, you know, every month they find out they're not pregnant. That's a tough one. 
disappointment every month, but he did not weaken in his faith. He faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. And I talked about this last week, but I'm just going to say it again. We are not the superstitious Christianity. I'm not going to say I'm sick because I'm not. No, he faced the facts. We face facts. It gets weird. We will say, yes, I'm currently sick, but I know God can heal me. I believe he can. I'm praying for it. I'm standing on it. I'm, we don't have to not face facts. We don't have to live in some pretend superstition, black cat crossing the road kind of a thing. Like we face the facts. Since he was about 100 years old, he faced the fact about himself. He faced the fact that Sarah's womb was also dead. Do you know what the, these people would have said? They'd be like, don't say her womb is dead. You're, you're putting a curse on her womb. No, he's facing facts. He faced the facts. I just want to debunk that thing. Yet he did not waver. Even though he faced the facts, he didn't waver. He didn't waver through unbelief regarding the promise. That's something that's to come that he hasn't received yet. But he was actually strengthened in his faith, gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he promised, the exact opposite of the children of Israel. And do you know what he set up? And this is a word I hope you will take home with you. Generational hope. Generational hope. What did I talk about? We talked about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. Four generations. He set the president precedence for hope for four generations. Generational hope. They went through some hell. All right, so it, he didn't set them up for easy street. That's what we're trying to do with our kids. We're trying to set them all up for easy street. You will have miserable kids. They will not have any spiritual strength. Your kids are going to go through stuff. My kids are going to go through stuff. It hurts as a mama. It's okay for that to hurt. But can you please be more concerned about setting them up for generational hope? Hope in the Lord. Hope in the Lord. <clears throat> generational hope. You know, it's interesting. I know I have a responsibility to instill this in, in my daughter. And you guys know I only have one daughter. And I have a whole bunch of spiritual children, a gaggle of them, lots of them. Don't, can't even keep track. Don't know how many. And I know I am instilling generational hope in them, and it's going out to their children, their parents, their aunts, their uncles, generational hope. And it's, I've had moments where I've said to God, these 10 years, Regan went from 7 to 17, her years at home with us. And I'm like, God, couldn't these bad years have been like, after she went off to college, or couldn't these bad years have been when she was too young to know? Which, by the way, we did have bad years when she was too young to know. Thank God she doesn't know about those. But anyway, um, <laughs> talk about therapy, gosh. Um, <laughs> but these have been really hard years. If you know my child, she is a woman of God. See, God knew what it was going to take. This is not an easy generation. And I have spoken over her oh, a, a thousands and thousands and thousands of times. I said, Reagan, you will not be a follower of wickedness. You will be a leader of righteousness. And when she was little, she's very mousy, very followy, very not anymore. Ten years of going through the middle. Ten years of watching us struggle, her struggle. Struggle, 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 struggle. God knew what he was doing. 
And at the end, when I launch her, sadly, next year, whew, you guys are going to have to prop me up for that one. When I launch her, I launch somebody who's learned to walk in faith, who's learned to walk in character, who's learned that God's promises, even in the middle, better than a few trips to Disney. Yes, me. We did do Disney. I hated every minute of that, but I'm sorry. We have a Disney. She, and, oh, no, and Kat, we've got some real Disney lovers in here. <laughs> she, if you ever go to Disney, she has an um, amazing travel agency that just does Disney, so I'm just saying. Anyway, okay, but what God gave her was better, but it was not fun, but it was better, way better. It lasts her a lifetime. Lasts her a lifetime. And I launch her, and I send her, and I don't have any concerns. She's got her own walk. She's strong in the Lord because we were in the middle all of her growing up years. It's okay with me. I love this scripture. Generational hope, guys. Instill it in your children. And again, not self-esteem, hope in the Lord. Which leads to a very peaceful relationship with yourself. I just want to say that. We're not about, like, you know, hating yourself. We're just about being at peace with God's way. Anyway, Zacharias 9, 12. Come back to the place of safety. Where is the place of safety? All you prisoners of hope. I love the scripture. I promise this very day that I will repay two blessings for each of your troubles. Slingshot. Thank you, Lord. Yeah. And I'm going to tell you something. I have felt like I was a prisoner of hope in these years. I have felt like I can't get out of this. I am not out of it. I'm the furthest thing from out of it. I'm in it right now. But I have to keep hoping. You literally become a prisoner because you believe the word of God. Do you know in the Bible there are 7,000 promises? I believe them. I have to hope, even though it's the opposite of what keeps happening. There is an opportunity when you're in the middle of something that's extremely painful, extremely impossible, extremely awful, and that is you have an opportunity to be in the presence of God in a way you cannot know in times of peace and blessing. You will know God. There is a way that in the middle of this pain, you get to know God in a way you cannot know. And here's the thing about this season. If you're in the middle and it's really hard, you have one chance to walk in hope and faith in that. So, for example, it doesn't last forever. For example, my marriage situation, it's all, it's all over with. It's all Now God... I walked in hope and faith eventually. I did it completely wrong. I mean, as bad as you can mess it up, I messed it up. Then I got the revelation and I had to turn around with Christ and I walked in hope and faith. That trial's over. I have a beautiful marriage. I have a wonderful marriage. He's the best thing in the world to me. So that's over. I, don't, I can't walk in hope and faith in that anymore. It's already fixed. Now God's moved on to some new trials. So you have this only this window that only you... You don't want to waste it because it, it won't always come around. You know, there's a time, we're in this time, when we have done everything we know to do, 
We try to do everything we can, and no matter what we do, nothing works out the way we hope it will. Anybody else in there with any of that? Yeah. Yeah. And, and what the world wants you to do is be, move into bad self-esteem, anxiety, and complaining. That's what I say the world. You know who wants you to do that? Satan. Because he hopes that you're going to lay down your blessing, your destiny, and your calling. And he hopes that you will not know that this is a slingshot effect. But I know because I lived it. So he can't get me to believe that lie. I don't believe it. So I had the privilege of giving God my hope in the middle of this thing. It's a gift I can give him. I can't give him very many gifts. He does everything for me. It's just something I can give him right now. I won't waste that gift. You know, we had something happen. I just preached this sermon last Thursday. And, and on that day, God asked Dave and I, and you know, when you walk with God, you do know when God's telling you something. You get that unction, that very strong feeling. We didn't hear an audible voice, but we both knew. God was asking us to take an enormous step of faith. It was something in our finances, and God wanted us to do something and give some stuff away. It was very costly to us. And we did it. And we did it with hope and anticipation and excitement because we've all seen the 700 Club videos when you do that, and then God swoops in and this great thing happens. Can I tell you, we did not get a 700 Club video. What we got was a bunch of stuff went wrong. Stuff in our finances went wrong that was like basic stuff that shouldn't even be going wrong. It's like backwards momentum, and it's like basic stuff that's not even like, wasn't even on the radar of something that could possibly not work out. Okay. Thankfully, we've been in the middle for a good decade. And guess what we've learned? Like Joseph, you have seasons where you do the right thing, and it just keeps getting worse. So we got to say to each other, now, it would, when we started all this, we would have been like, God, what? Are you kidding me? You know, we didn't, can I tell you, we barely even talked about it. My husband called me up. He was like, this happened. I'm like, oh, wow, that's a surprise. Oof. All right, well, God's going to have to do things a different way than we thought. I don't know. i got to get busy doing this talk that's nearly about to kill me. <laughs> uh, so we've learned. We've learned. Our obedience is a gift. And then when we obey and it goes the wrong way, our hope is a gift. If we don't have hope in our middle when we obey, it robs us of the joy of obeying. If I didn't have hope because we were just obedient and we did this huge thing and then it went wrong, do you know I would feel bad about my obedience instead of joyful? Do you know I don't feel bad about my obedience at all? I'm like, well, good. This is just what Satan means for evil is going to turn around for good. I don't know how. I can't figure out the how. I literally haven't given it one second thought. This is the most I've talked about it right here. It's just not, all, it's not my problem. That's God's problem. Not my, as Kat likes to say, not my circus, not my monkey. Not mine. He told me to obey. If we obey without surrendering, then it's just a business deal. Just a business transaction. Hey, God, I prayed. I read my Bible. I gave my tithe. I, and we have a quid pro quo, you know. And here I did my business transaction. This is a relationship. It is a journey. You are on a road trip that will last the rest of your life. 
and it is a road trip, the one who loves you the most, and you're going to have to surrender. Obedience is surrender. You are going to have to surrender to a very complicated process that we cannot pre-plan how this thing is going to go. You know, the hashtag, it's complicated. Every young kid likes to put that next to their relationship status. Hashtag, it's complicated. And I see that, and I'm like, oh, girl, honey, you have no idea. <laughs> hashtag, it's complicated next to God. A lifetime of it's complicated. This is complicated. You're going to have to do this thing by faith. I mean, you're just going to have to roll. Jesus, take the wheel. You're going to have to sit in that passenger seat. We're going to have to hope in spite of the pain. Jesus wept even though he knew it was going to work out with Lazarus. But he felt the human emotion of what he was going through. Faith does not anesthetize you to the pain. Hope does not anesthetize you to the pain. I have people say to me all the time, I have faith, but I don't know why I still hurt. I'm like, because you're human. Our faith does not take away our human pain. I'm going to tell you something. This stuff that I've been in has hurted. It's hurted. <laughs> That's not a word. It's hurted. <laughs> but what, what faith and hope do do is they give you hope and joy and anticipation for the future. That's what hope does in the middle of the pain. It gives you anticipation for the great things that are coming. Why? Do we have so much hope for the future? I'll tell you why. Because of the biblical principle of sowing and reaping. So we all, anybody who has any spiritual discernment is uncomfortable, upset, and against this whole we give everybody trophies business. It's garbage. It's garbage. It's a woke cuckoo. Well, why does this bother us so much? I'll tell you why. Because Satan is trying to destroy, from a very young age, children understanding sowing and reaping. Sowing and reaping. It is a fundamental part of the scripture from beginning to end. The Bible says in Galatians 6, 7, and 9, Do not be deceived. Don't deceive yourself. God can't be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. And then verse 9 says, let us not go weary in well-doing, for at a proper time we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. I am sowing some seeds of faith and obedience in a really hard time. So I'm real confident about the reaping to come. I'm excited because we have determined that as for me and my house, we're going to serve God in this season. The three of us have had a lot of powwows, and we have decided we are going to endure in hope. We are going to plant seeds in hope. We are going to water seeds in hope. We are going to wait in hope. And I got a harvest coming. And see, we look at you reap what you sow, and it's all negative. But hey, what about, what about when, I, listen, I've sown those too. I've reaped some I've lost years because of bad stuff I sowed. But God redeemed them. And I'm now sowing in to some really good blessings that are coming. And I don't know where and I don't know when. And I don't get to know that stuff. And I'll tell you why I don't get to know it. Because God doesn't owe me an explanation. God does not owe me an explanation. I have experienced God's miracles at a level I do not deserve and I could not earn. The miracles I have seen are beyond explanation. And I do not have a right 
to reevaluate who God is, what his character is, based on my disappointment and pain and loss. He doesn't owe me an explanation. Tell you why. You say, why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to you? Why is this happening to us? I don't know. All I know is God doesn't work for me. I work for him. It's a privilege to work for him. I don't know. God never, ever, ever owes me an explanation. But I'll tell you what, I owe him everything. I owe him absolutely everything, and I will owe him everything until the day I die. I owe him everything. I work for him. I'm on an as-need-to-know basis. Sometimes he does give me explanations, sometimes he doesn't. But every single day, I'm indebted to Jesus Christ. I have a, a story of this, and my, it's my cousin, Ethan. And I don't know, everybody gets special family relatives. And my cousin, Ethan, has been a joy to me my whole life. He has never caused me a single tear or a single hurt. He's just very special to me. He's two years younger than I am. He's an extraordinary man. He was a wrestler. Then he was a Marine, and he wrestled for the Marines. And then he went to college. He wrestled for college. He's a man's man. Now he's a policeman. And his best friend, he was, so his, he and his family and their three children, they come every summer, and we get to be together, and they're just amazing. And his best friend, he was supposed to come down, and I get a call from him. His best friend named David Crossett, David Crossett, that name, I just want to honor that name. His best friend, a lawyer, amazing, built a, a huge practice, just bought a farm. Um, he runs this special gymnasium. He runs a special fitness thing, and it's all these men, and it's all about Bible verses and fitness and all this stuff, and just an extraordinary man. And they had just moved to their new farm, and he was out with his five-year-old cutting down a tree, and the tree fell the wrong way and killed him in front of his five-year-old. And my cousin called me weeping, which in a lifetime together, and, and we've, been, we've done life together our whole lives, in a lifetime together, I've never heard him cry. He's been through some stuff, but he's big, tough, muscles everywhere guy. But I want to talk to you guys about David Crossett's wife. Because he died that night, and the next morning, Ethan went to see her. Showed up in his squad car in his uniform. He wanted to honor David, wanted to honor her. He goes in. They hug each other. They're crying. They're both crying. And you know her first words to him? Her first words to him, she said, Ethan. You know what David would say? David would say, don't stop don't start doubting God now. Her first words. Don't start doubting God now. She has four little kids. A single mom. Husband just killed a freak accident. He's a man of God. She's a man of God. And then when he's leaving, you know what her words to him were? I'm so sorry you lost your best friend. True faith is infectious even in the midst of the worst tragedy that you cannot explain and you do not understand. 
It is powerful. Do you know nearly a thousand people came through to honor that man's life and the gospel was preached over and over and over and over again because people are so hungry for what's real. And you don't know what's real until you're in a crisis. Something that is so painful and we don't want to waste it. She didn't waste that. And I tell you what, I was ashamed when I heard this story because I was in the middle of a really hard summer and I'm like, yeah, I wouldn't have done that. Just being honest. Probably why I'm still in the middle. I'm learning. I'm getting better. But that husband is my world, and I don't think I would be having that faith. But maybe I would now. Maybe I'm, I'm growing. I'm changing. And we're all in a growing process, right? But look at that. Look at that example. See, there is a story of some slave men who were royalty in their nation. They were previously royalty. They prayed that their nation would be saved, but it wasn't. They get taken away as slaves. They're held in confinement. And then they're told they have to worship a false god. And we know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they, they would have every reason to say, God, I'm not going to trust you. You haven't come through for me. But what do they do? Daniel 3, 17 and 18. If we, are thrown into the blazing if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He's able. He will rescue us from your power. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear that we will never serve your gods or worship. Even if he doesn't. That was Cheryl. Cross it. Even if he doesn't. Will we do it even if he doesn't? If we're not care careful, our faith will become about believing for the thing instead of believing in God. There is a movement about believing in the thing. And listen, God wants to give us these things. I mean, that's why there's 7,000 promises. God wants to give you the blessing. But it's not about focusing on the blessing. It's about focusing on him. Before you know it, we're trying to manipulate God with our faith. We're trying to say, you're supposed to do this, and we almost treat him like a vending machine, that quid pro quo. Listen, we have faith in God. We trust him. He's going to bless our lives. He's going to, he's going to do the good things that he's promised to. And, and let's take, for example, healing. Does he, God heal today? Oh, my goodness, yes, all the time. Do we believe for healing? Absolutely. But does it always happen right when we pray for it? No. Why? Because God's doing something. There's a reason. We don't stop believing in healing because it doesn't happen. We understand that God, you, that person might be in their middle. We're going to ask for it because God says you don't have because you don't ask. We're going to ask, but then what happens? And, and, and so honoring God as a healer, even when you haven't received your healing. Mm -hmm. Proclaiming to the world that God is a healer, even when you're still maybe in sickness. I have an amazing example of this, and we'll pray that this works. But there's a man named Dwayne Miller. He's a pastor in Texas. And he got a flu that destroyed it it literally ate his vocal cords and he went to 67 specialists and 200 doctors it's all documented and he could not there was no there was nothing to do so he had to leave the ministry because he couldn't talk so when he leaves the ministry what happens he has to find a way to live so they have to sell their house they move into an apartment his wife starts supporting them financially they have two girls in Baylor. They're trying to figure out how to support their daughters. 
Uh, he takes a job as a private investigator investigating FDIC loans. And once he gets into that, they all of a sudden stopped sending him the loans. And he didn't know why. They said, because if you have to get on the stand, no one can understand you or hear you, so we can't use you anymore. And then that same week, he gets a message from his insurance company, and they said, we've talked to your doctors, and the doctors are saying that this, you're, there's no hope of you ever being healed, so everything they're doing is now considered exploratory. So we are canceling your insurance, and we want you to pay back $18,000. The same week, he gets a disability, a notice from disability, and they said, we decided that not having a voice is not a disability, so we're cutting your disability. Simultaneously, weeks and weeks earlier, people who taught a large Sunday school class at a First Baptist church in Houston had asked him to teach, and they did it because they felt like he needed something to boost him, make him feel better, he could teach again, and so... He was like, well, they won't understand me. They said, well, we'll mic you, we'll make sure, you know, but we just feel like you should do this. So he had agreed to it, not knowing all this stuff was going to happen. He's teaching a curriculum. The, ha the, 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 the lesson that it happened to be for him was on healing. But what they didn't know is the Saturday before, he spent the whole, for four hours, he spent sitting in the living room with a gun in his mouth. He wanted to kill himself. But then, he keeps his commitment to go teach the gospel. And he preaches the sermon. And let's pray that this works. Let's try to play the tape. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. One of his benefits is he heals all of my diseases. And then in verse 4 he says, And he redeems my life from the pit. Now I like that verse just a whole lot. I have had and you have had in times past pit experiences. We've both had, we've all had times when our life seemed to be in a pit, in a grave. And we didn't have an answer for the pit we find ourselves in. <sighs> and I don't understand this right now. <laughs> I'm but overwhelmed at the moment. I'm not quite sure what to say or do. Yeah. <laughs> 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 you could pause it there. I'm uh, <laughs> It was amazing. I know we're running out of time, but and you know what's funny? I've, I've watched him preach, and he says, hey, when it says it heals all my diseases, I believe it now. Because at the beginning, he's like, I don't really believe that. And of course, he didn't know how to make the context because he had been like this for years, right? And God healed him in that moment when he was faithful in his pit to preach in faith what he had not experienced. You know, there is a table, Psalm 23, 
The Bible says that he sets a table for us in the presence of our enemies. In the middle of our worst experiences, God sets the table. If that wasn't a table, what you just heard, I don't know what is. I send this picture, I text this picture to Dave all the time, like multiple times a day. Because I'm reminding him, he knows what that means. We've talked about it. God is setting a table for us in the middle of our scenario. He's setting a table. That was a beautiful table. It was, it was you know, uh, I, Dave and I love to cook. We are gourmet cooks when we have time. And, I mean, we will use tons of ingredients. And I've done birthday dinners for both Fanny and Sherry that each of them took, like, it took me three or four days of cooking. It was seven courses paired with wine. It was a feast to honor them because I love them. And, and that's what God does. In the midst of our scenario, he's setting a table in the presence of our enemies. But you know what people are living on? Supplements. They still nourish you. They'll keep you alive. If you go in my kitchen, because of all the crazy things going on with our health, Dave Ray and I take handfuls of supplements. I don't want to live on that. It's, it's a miserable, I would hate to only live on supplements. It's a miserable way to live. He wants us to have a gourmet meal, which is hope. 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 We can't give God much. I mean, you think about all he did for us, tortured and died and loves us and makes us righteous and puts our life in order. And I mean, he does. In time, he does it all. But there are some things we can give him. We can give him our hope, our obedience. And one of the most important ones is uh, we can give him our praise. In the middle of the pain, it's a beautiful thing to him. Look at Psalm 51, starting with verse 14, 15, and 23. Make thankfulness your sacrifice to God. It's a sacrifice. He knows it's a sacrifice. He's not, he's not saying it's not a sacrifice to praise in the middle of that pain. Keep your vows you made. Then call on me when you're in trouble, and I will rescue you, and I will give you my glory. He says, if you'll praise me in the middle of your pain, I'm going to give you glory, my glory. And then he says, but giving thanks is a sacrifice that truly honors me. Look how much he appreciates it. The opposite of how he feels about the complaining. Praising is the opposite of the complaining. And he says, giving thanks, it truly honors me. If you keep my path, I'll reveal to you the salvation of God. Just stay on the path. Grab your moment may never happen again. You may never be in this health problem again, this marriage problem again, this substance abuse problem again, this teenage problem again, this financial problem again. Just lift it. You may never have this problem again. It, this too shall pass. Grab it. Don't waste it. Spend it on God. Spend it on hope. Spend it on faith. Spend it on obedience. Sow the seed. Spend it on praise. Give God an offering that costs you something. Last week we made a decision. It costs us a lot. 
I want to do, I want to give God things. Doing this Bible study, it costs me a lot. And my children, and my, I mean my child, and my husband, and my family, it costs us. It costs my ministry. It costs, it costs. Do you know it's such a joy to serve and to give to God? It's a joy. Don't begrudge the cost. Be grateful you have, you have the privilege of doing something that costs you something. It's not always going to be here. Hebrews 6.12, imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. It's going to take it. You don't just automatically get it. There's faith and patience involved. You're going to have to wait. So you tell yourself. I say this to myself all the time. I have lost my ability to not believe God. I've lost my ability to do that. I once was able to do that. I can't do it anymore. I've lost my ability to do it. I will die believing him. Even if he doesn't, I'm going to die believing him. I'm absolutely convinced in the integrity of God to keep his promises. Nobody can change my mind. No one else is responsible to do it for me. It doesn't matter what they do against me. It doesn't matter what goes wrong. None of that matters. What matters is that they walk in, I walk in hope and faith. I know I will never be overtaken by a situation if I will stand in hope. It cannot own me. It cannot overtake me. It cannot define me. It can't. Not if you'll walk in hope. Not if you'll just keep believing. God's going to do it. I will only let hope govern me. I will not let my circumstances govern me. Hope will govern me, not circumstances. I refuse to forfeit my hope. I've told you guys before, I have had this back when I was driving Reagan to school. I would drive her to school, and honestly, I mean, every morning there'd be a bombardment of whatever would be happening. And I, I, I pulled over in Jamestown, because that's in the middle, after driving her off so many times. And I would literally just pull over, and I'd be like, now look. I'd be just talking out loud to myself. I will never stop. You're trying to stop me from God's calling. All this business, you're, I will never stop. You have to kill me. I can't tell you how many times. But you have to go through God, but you're going to have to kill me. I will not stop. I will stay this course with every breath I have. I will stay the course. God has asked me to stay. And I'm going to give him the sacrifice of praise. It's a sacrifice. It's a gift. And in the middle of our tears, in the middle... You're going to cry. It's still going to hurt in the middle. And in the middle, when we don't understand, and in the middle of the middle, we're going to praise. We're going to hope. We're going to have faith. And you know what we're going to do? <clears throat> Overcome the enemy. Overcome the enemy. If we do that, he can't win. He can't. Spiritual law. He can't win. Make a decision. It's your decision. We are responsible to maintain our own hope. Can't blame mommy, daddy, husband, kids, job, work, whatever. We are responsible to maintain our own hope. What are we going to do with it? Lord God, seal this. Seal this word. Lord God, I, I, just, I just spoke of this woman, Cheryl, who I've never met. But Lord, I pray for her right now. It's been about six months or so since her husband passed. 
We lift her up, Lord, this woman of hope in a terrible crisis. Woman of faith. Lord God. And Lord God, if we've messed up, God, you're a God who redeems. We know you always respond to repentance. Father God, we can't wait to see the victory that's coming. We're going to sow seeds and we're going to reap what we've sown. We're going to reap some really good stuff. Through your strength, help us, Lord. We know you are. We know you will, Lord God. Help us, Lord God. We should be the most hopeful, excited people alive. Help us to live that out, Lord God. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.